Good morning, everybody. It's May 13th, Friday the 13th, 2022. I'm Charlie Fink. I'm here with Ted Chilowitz and our friend Roni Abowitz for This Week in XR, sponsored by Verbella. Gentlemen, great to see you this morning. An auspicious day. And Roni, I think I think you have now reached the level of you need the velvet jacket with the with the five timers. Well, club. you know, <laughs> I, I kept thinking that Roni was on this show like five times, but this is actually just the third time. Yeah. Only. OK, yeah, so All you right. owe us two more shows before the All end right. of the year, and then we will send you a jacket. Then you're going to get your your augmented mixed reality jacket. Which I, you're I totally want the velvet jacket with the Charlie and Ted and there you go. The whatever the name will is this week in XR whatever it becomes. So Google, Google I.O. yesterday took a very decided AR, uh, AR pivot uh, at the end of the show when they introduced these kind of amazing version of the North specs where, you know, they're kind of regular looking glasses and they're projecting text onto the lenses and the text is, um, you know, can be translation. Uh, you know, they can translate it to 46 languages. So I thought that was kind of like one of the first times I saw something really super practical and like, oh, I would use that. I don't know whether I could because uh, a vision correction, but you could see somebody enduring all the friction of carrying those things around the world and charging them and so forth in order to get that benefit. Were, were you guys surprised by that announcement or did that feel like the natural evolution of what Google and other companies in the space now, because this is sector oriented, not just Google oriented, are prepping and bringing out into the world? Roni? Um, I'm not surprised because I might have shown people that idea. <laughs> but, but when you think about like, what are the great use cases of something you put on your head closer to the form factor of what Charlie and I are wearing, which is kind of like the end game, right? So they were kind of showing something closer to end game form factor all day, every day, right field of view, right graphics, battery lasts 10 hours, which I don't think that prototype does, but it's, it's a futuristic glimpse of where it all goes. It's going to correct your vision. You're going to have zoom. You're going to see at night. You're going to see through walls. It's going to translate everything for you. And you're going to have all these amazing apps. So I think they're taking, one of those things that enable all day, every day, and they're trying to like drip feed it to move consumers along. Yeah, um, drip feed is a good. This along. It's a drip feed. Like I think if you're in the field, as long as like, actually all three of us are, you kind of want all of it and you see the whole thing, but it looks like the world's got to be breadcrumbed from yeah. where it is today on the phone, That's move a great way slowly to, to, to the promised land. Yeah, drip, drip, feed is a, drip feed is a really good uh, perspective on this because we always go back a generation and study. And if we all remember when the iPhone was launched and the three things that Steve showed and said, these are some core components of where this is going. I've got a, an, an, a mobile internet browser and I've got, you know, I can read the New York Times and I've got text and I've got email and there's more coming. And that was enough to get the fire started. And ultimately, Roni, you know, you with that wonderful little experience in Florida that continues to go on, started that fire, right? And now others are really um, stoking that fire, I guess we would say. But look, you have to give them credit. It's, it's one of the use cases that when you think mass scale and you think about Google's real strength in cloud and AI and translation, which there is Google Translate, there's an obvious connect, right? You can imagine a thin computer a lot of Google Cloud backend streaming it through Stadia-like 
capabilities across 5G. When 5G is really there and you've got Stadia-like streaming of this, you can imagine like, Charlotte, say you go to Europe for a conference, why wouldn't you wear it, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a nice sure. there's a niceness to it. And, you know, there, I mean, it, it sort of uh, portends other things. For example, uh, you could have a conference app that allows facial recognition sort of while you're in the building, right? And that would just require a sensor and, again, something to project text, you know, based on proximity. Uh, so it wouldn't have to be even that precise. Um, so those are the kind of apps, I think, that Can will... I get on you for a second, though? Because... Don't we, start with the facial recognition. That was just an example. Well, we were there. <laughs> I mean, they were, so you're going to go down that rabbit hole. Let's stick with AR. Give me a one minute dark side on, on, on this. Okay. The, the, the flip side of this is now a company, we could say any company, can see everybody you're looking at and know everybody you're looking at and perhaps read their lips and understand everything they're saying translate everything your eyes look at because they can track your eyes and look at every single letter you look at and know all of that in near real time. Yeah. Now, if Yikes. company's benevolent and decentralized and doing good, this could actually be really oh, good. For so people. we're totally safe with uh, Apple and uh, Meta. Well, and, if our, and, if, and our listeners, if our listeners haven't watched it yet, I'm not gonna remember which streamer it's on, but it's definitely on one of the streaming services. A really interesting documentary called The Creepy Line defines what Roni is talking about mm. in spades. It fully explains what is going on when a- I'm writing that down, The Creepy Line. The Creepy Line that has massive amounts of power, massive amounts of both economic and social and relevant power of being you know, such a large category leader can do things that can drive behavior in really interesting ways uh, and their technological underpinnings uh, can be very dangerous in the wrong hands. So, so Charlie, you're walking around in Paris for a conference, AR 2024, wearing some version of these by some company, and it knows where you were, everything you looked at, you walk into a coffee shop, you look at something on the menu before you even realize you wanted it, it's just sitting there for you. That could be kind of cool. But you go back to your hotel room and you get all this mail on everything you looked at. <laughs> maybe a person you looked at is on tinder and suddenly is reaching out to you like wait 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 like, I, like why did that happen like there's all these unattended consequences because if it could translate of course it could translate words and read people's mouth of course it could do that great for sign language great for uh, language but you also have the surveillance state thing which is like if you're a autocratic nation like some other countries in the world some very large ones this is a positive. They want to control their population to everything you're thinking, seeing, doing, anticipating to the nth degree. Well, that's, that's also true of also true of VR. Its ability to influence, its ability to create simulations where um, truth is fiction and fiction is truth. I mean, you know, what happens when we can't tell what's real anymore? Well, I mean, Cambria, stories, isn't yeah. Cambria the, and the, the, and the, and the beginnings of this happened? Go on, Ted. Well, the beginnings of this happened very sort of like, oh, I didn't even realize how powerful that was and how much moments of change this is going to have in my behavior. When you can go into a search engine type bar and it starts to predictively finish what you want to search for, just think about what you're just referring to, Roni, about now it's tracking everything. You're in the coffee shop and it's tracking the 12 things you looked at and chose. The beginnings of that are I type in 
I want to find out about Roni and it's going to finish my sentence. And it's now leading me down a garden path that I may or may not have intended, but it's sort of, I've already started down that garden path. So some pretty powerful things going on. So, you know, speaking of, of uh, I love your background, by the way, Ted, for those who are listening, is the Eiffel Tower turned on its side Yes. in, in the background. I don't know if that's your hotel room and it's, it's an arty thing or whether that's a virtual background. It's yet and yet another undisclosed vacation where I'm doing my work this week. <laughs> so the peripatetic Ted Shilowitz. Yeah. Uh, where in the world is Ted Shilowitz? So, um, and that is a segue into the other thing at Google I.O. that was so interesting and relevant to AR, which is the expansion of Google Maps. And clearly Google Maps is gonna play a role in the development of these kind of information glasses. And it's gonna compete in some way with the Niantic uh, project Lightship as well, because the idea is to label the world, right? The idea is for you to look at a restaurant and know how it's rated and what kind of food they serve. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, you know, Google has been working on maps for 15 years and, you know, this it's becoming spatial. Not, not, not a surprise. I mean, something that I think is public or probably not well known is the woman who headed up Google Maps, Jen Fitzpatrick, was on our board for a number of years. So I think the commingling of maps and ways and Google Earth, I think that there's been a lot of work. They were playing around with the cardboard. It was soaking with us on kind of magic verse things. But it's, isn't it an obvious thing? If you have a digital copy of the world and all the information, aren't you probably going to make a run at that becoming oh, a yeah. layer of a Googleverse or heck another? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, this is why the map category has so many other players in it who are creating other 3D versions of it for different purposes. So you've got Bohemia Simulations, for example, can make a 3D simulation based on satellite photos and Google map photos sort of instantly uh, at the request of any government in the world. So they literally can say, give me a map of this town in the Ukraine in 24 hours because we're going to have a training exercise. Uh, so it's, it is getting kind of incredible because that the, the thing that's really going to be mind blowing is when that digital twin of the physical world is integrated with the digital world so that you can go back and forth. And in a way, we kind of saw that because today Zuck uh, went live with Cambria. We didn't see what it looks like from the outside, but that's not nearly as important as what it looks like from the inside looking out. And uh, I thought it was pretty exciting. Uh, I know yeah. you have a lot of thoughts about this, Roni, because you were working on similar spatial experiences. I, I think what's interesting is how what we think Apple will come out with first what Meta just revealed a bit on with, with Cambria and what Magic Leap dropped not long ago with the Magic Leap 2, they're kind of like all aiming in the same place. They're all, one is native augmented with the ability to do uh, you know, virtual through electronic uh, shuttering and, and creating like sort of segmented black for the ML2. And then the reverse of that, almost like the flip side of the same coin is Cambria which is native VR, but opens up color cameras. They're, they're opposites of each other that do this. But they're, they're, they're really almost handshaking. And if you go two or three more iterations, they all blend into like sort of one technology suite that does both perfectly at the right field of view, the right resolution. It's kind of a race, like 
which way is, you know, one group made a bet, it's seeing the real world and then blending in the signal. The other one's like, do it all through a video buffer. Um, I think they're going to get really close. Like they're probably two paths up the same mountain in the end. I agree with that. I think they are going to get really close and they're going to find commonality in their use cases and their benefits, but it's all about form factor, usability, functionality, and the, the tech itself needs to move into the humanistic phase, right? Which is what these companies are working on, which oh. I think Google did a fairly good job of showing yeah. these are the human elements that are going to drive this kind of stuff forward where the Cambria stuff is not quite showing that yet, but they will, right? Well, and, tip, and, typic, typical of meta, you know, they went for the gamification first. Right. You know, that's, they, know where they know where their bones are, right? They know, they know where they're, where, where Whereas they're Google is information. Yeah. Right. I got to ask you a question, Charlie. If, if that's the case, why haven't they taken a swing at Unity, which was $8.9 billion market cap yesterday, down from like 30 or 40? Why aren't they making a run at Epic? Why aren't they buying Ubisoft? Like, if they know they have to be great at games, why not take out an amazing game studio at scale, like like Microsoft did with that? Here's, like here's, here's, here's my prediction on that. I I think people aren't clear on it. Maybe they are. Epic is their main competitor, not Apple. I don't. I think Apple's going to do an app-based thing and and. Um, flip the bird at the metaverse. I mean, what mean you can't use their stuff for the metaverse, but I think Apple in terms of the services and, you know, their own business, I, I think they're going to let meta hang itself and, you know, possibly more competitive with the Google HUD glasses than, than with anything that meta is doing. Hmm. Of but course, why do you think Meta's not making a run at like full scale game studio acquisitions because if that is the direction, you know, that high-end AAA and also casual gaming, why not just bring in all the talent? You know, there's the Ubisofts, there's Valve, there's, I mean, there's, there's like still there's, great players. Take out Epic, take yeah. out Unity. Well, I don't, I don't think they can take out Epic. Uh, I think Epic has, you know, a pending value, valuation. Uh, I mean, who knows the world has changed, but far in excess of what I don't think Unity wants to acquire. Like, I don't think it wants to be. I don't yeah, think and you know, also Meta has its own game engine that they built into Horizon. So they've sort of doubled and tripled down on Horizon. So I don't think they're, you know, they're, I mean, they've got an army of people working on a asset store. So they really are, are building that up. Uh, doesn't mean they couldn't have, um, a, you know, a, a game engine like Unity alongside it and kind of optimize it for, for that. Um, but I think it would be hard. I think they're kind of set on a certain path of having their own game engine. They've invested in it for several years. It's optimized for Horizon. So I, I don't know, it's pretty good also that, you know, so uh, I think I, I more think there are others like Microsoft that might be an acquirer of Unity. I also think there's, there's something to be said from where we sit with the human element of these companies that effectively have unlimited resources to put at all kinds of shiny or near shiny objects. And at some point, the upper level of those companies just can't synthesize anymore. They start to lose all their core competencies because they try and grasp into too many what they think might be their core competencies. And I think they're starting to get some advice going, you've got to at least stick to a little bit of your knitting. You're starting to explore so many things in so many ways that you simply can't 
control it all and you won't be successful at it all. In fact, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're not setting yourself up for There's, success. There was a news story this week because um, I guess Boz and Zuck, you know, flew out to Milan to meet with the guys who make their Ray-Ban stories glasses and they showed off the wrist controller. You know, they've been talking about this for a while. That's obviously a version of that that does hand tracking well enough to use the hands to control the headset. So, you know, yeah, I mean, when you think about they're releasing four headsets in the next 24 months, you know, they, they are spreading themselves thin and they, you know, have a lot of research projects that aren't going to contribute to any revenue generation for five or 10 years. Right. So, you know, you see that, I mean, in the wake of, uh, I'm not going to call it up, I suppose you could say it's sort of been a crash in the valuation of crypto and tech stocks, although it takes us only back to the distant days of 2019. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I don't know whether, I, you know, when you run up such a tremendous bubble and it gets deflated, you're kind of back to square one, which was not a terrible place, right? We had just come from an incredible run when the pandemic started and sort of we put off the pain, you know, until now. Uh, so, uh, you know, even with the tremendous uh, uh, decrease in value, I think it puts pressure on the boards of these companies to show that they're taking steps to ameliorate the effects. Yeah, and for what it's worth, it also shows the intelligence of Apple, whether they can completely pull it off or not, but understanding how they need to keep projects secret and within their innovation lanes before they go public with things so they don't spread themselves too thin. So they don't even give the illusion that they are to the consumers, that they have these veins of consumer products and consumer services that they relate, that they release to the public and maintain to the public and everything else lives in secrecy. And Ted, you brought up the fruits. Um, how good is whatever they are planning to ship need to be for it not to be like, oh, right. you spend all these years and all this, like, and all this money <laughs> and it's only as good as X. Like how, like it, it feels like at this point, there's been so many years and so much money you think about being spent like in the tens and tens of billions. It almost feels like they're like a holy grail must emerge. Yeah, you the, and I have talked about Michael this. The burden of this has to come out. Um, you and I have talked about this a lot offline, Roni, the idea that it's probably, it probably needs to have a 10X characteristic to it, that it's gotta be 10 times better than everything else on the market. And is that even an, a realistic achievable at this point? I don't think so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't know how you 10x some of the things that are coming out this year. You can 1.5x them. You can have a slightly thinner chip. You can have a you know 10 more degrees field of view here. They're like, but I'm wondering like, what are they going to do other than slap their brand on it? That's going to be that. Oh my God! Other than they did it, like they put their name on it, and that just makes it better in people's minds. Here's, well, and I think. What it comes down to is when you study Apple and you know what Apple really focuses on is usability, right? Is teaching the world of what the actual value of these compute stacks and compute hardware is, as opposed to just building the technology. They build the story around it. They make it comfortable for people. They make it feel good for people. They make it relevant, right? Apple's the best at that, I think. And other companies have learned to get better at it, but still Apple is the best at that. So when you talk about that 10X, it may not be the hardware that's 10X. It may be the overall, how they lay out their launch experience, how they lay out the first year of its life in the market. 
will be better than anything else. Um, and that goes all the way back to kind of the Rio player to the iPod, right? Same sort of core technology, but a different understanding of what the customer wants out of the story that this technology will deliver into their lifestyle. Um, and I think that's what's coming. I, I tend to think of it as more of probably a media player at first, mm -hmm. um, you know, which would, would relate to their efforts at creating content. Um, so it may be just the best at that one thing, right? It's so incredible to consume content on it that you have to have it. And then they kind of iterate from there to something that is mobile and interactive and provides games. And, you know, so maybe it does a few things really well and they don't try to overreach and they don't try to directly compete, but they try and get the first adopters engaged with them as they did with the iPod. And then you start socializing and iterating it and you bring in outside developers. But it certainly seems that they are not in version 1.0 gonna have a lot of third-party software on there. There's just no way it would be this secret for this long if they were. Uh, they may have some, but it's not gonna be a lot because I think clearly they're thinking the first year, the first iteration, a lower number of units, high priced, because again, a lot of the purchasers will be developers. Uh, so, you know, I mean, how many units would be a lot in that year? Uh, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand maybe. It's a little bit like Watch, right? Which took, you know, five years for people to turn around and said, what, that's a $6 billion a year business? <laughs> it would be valued at what if it was an independent company? So, but that didn't like happen like, oh, they have a hit product. When they introduced watch, uh, you know, I still, when I speak, I ask how many people are wearing an Apple watch. It, it's gotten up there now. It's, it's, it's closer to five or 10% in most venues, but there's a room full of real nerds. <laughs> and that's how many people, you know, have integrated iWatch into their lives. Yeah. I think so, they understand how to let things blossom, right? They, they, they expect things to move through multiple iterations of user adoption and they've learned over a number of generations how to achieve it and they have expertise at it it's not they're not the only company that has expertise but many other companies have learned how to do things from that apple philosophy but ted like if you go back to like ipod and and even the newton yep. i mean they had they were early with the newton they learned from it jobs came back and then he was plotting you know then the ipod tony fidel and, and that whole team but so they were actually quite early in that whole understanding. Here, they're, they're kind of not getting dirty in the arena for a very long time. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. So it feels very different from like all of that. Like, you know, the, the, the Newton clearly predated the iPod and the iPad, but it did tell them something. And that led to the iPhone and all kinds of amazing things. But like, they were in the dirt, they were innovating, they were way on top of it. This feels like, wait, 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 wait. But if you're just not in the field at all with this, it seems like not being in the field is actually a gigantic setback. Whatever yeah, well, you think about yeah. the players who are in the field early and still, there's so much they are learning from all of that interaction with like actually fairly large scale number of users from a learning perspective, you know? Right, I, I also think that over this, let's call it 40 years now from this, this whole transition period, <clears throat> The user adopter curve 
has gotten much faster and much wider and much bigger. So there was a different comfort zone mm. back in the days of Newton to release a product that was so innovative and tied to so many futuristic concepts because they knew it was gonna take multiple generations for the world to catch up, right? Versus today's world, people catch up almost too fast. They're ready to adopt too quickly and it's not as comfortable for Apple. They, they, that sweet spot was a sweet mm. spot from the past for Apple where the now, you know, the artists formerly known as Facebook, our friends at Meta, feel like they've taken that mantle of the, of the dirty, messy stages where they have to kind of funnel funds and create long-term loss leader um, <clears throat> sort of veins of productization and product creation to find that, to, to hold that audience, which is not what Apple really likes to do, right? So it may be that time. perfectionism is ruining the timing for them because as yeah, you said, be. they're looking at it saying, well, is this a 10X thing? Is this gonna... Like, are people going to, is there going to be a line around the block for this? And, you know, it, it, it may not be time for that yet, but uh, it also may be that they're struggling. It's like the album Chinese Democracy. We waited for it for a long, a long time. time. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, I love yeah. Axel, all, you know, but it just wasn't all that. Sorry, Guns N' Roses. Like, I love it. No I, Welcome I, to the Jungle, right? The second you know yeah. I don't know if anyone gets that reference, but it's like, oh, my God, you took, you know. And it, also drop dark side of the moon. Basically, if they don't drop dark side of the moon, mm, anything yep. less is, is garbage. Basically. Well, it may be that they're not releasing it because they know it's not good enough yet. You know, yeah. so and, and also supply chain may be affecting a lot of decisions in ways that we that are opaque to us. All right, gentlemen. Well, this has been a great conversation. As always, Roni, you are the greatest guest. Yes. I'm going to send you that jacket now. The jacket oh, is being oh, so no, I, as I, we I will climb the mountain. I'll do my rookie thing. I'll uh, five. All oh, right, wait, you we guys. forgot your uh, your your um your Web three thing. Oh yeah, my Web three. Oh, we should we can do five minutes on I'm, Web. I'm about so as Ted knows, I have been searching for the meaning of Web three, and uh, I finally found it. Uh, it uh, was originated in 2014 by one of the founders of Ethereum, Gavin Wood, uh, and it describes, uh, as its evangelists have said, a set of protocols uh, like the early web protocols that would set computing free from big gatekeepers. So we're back to the days of having a mail server. Um, so that was the original conception, but around the end of last year, people started using it in other ways to refer to other things. And so I was completely confused. I thought it was a protocol. No, 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 it's so much bigger than that because it's got crypto and it's got the metaverse and it's just everything in there. Like what, that doesn't make any sense. So finally, I was having lunch yesterday with a friend who works for Microsoft and he just kept saying web three this and you know that about web three. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What are we talking about here? And he said, well, isn't Web3, Web3 is the metaverse. Nobody at Microsoft would ever say metaverse. I said, really, why not? He said, because you have to say meta. Right. So Microsoft, and probably this is the source of all these other people doing it, they don't want to say meta. Yeah, I think, you know, and Charlie, you know, I put some thought into this. I think if you're going to do a boil down moment here, Ronnie, see if you agree. When we talk about Web3 and we use that moniker, we're talking about the utilitarian parts of what will create the next internet and how we use it, which functions in all kinds of ways, right? 
the three-dimensional parts of it, the avatar parts of it, the faster bandwidth parts of it, the 5G parts of it, the the, the creationism parts of it, et cetera. And I didn't use the word metaverse in any of those, right? <laughs> um, when, when we talk about and use the term metaverse, we're largely talking about the marketing blush that lives on top of the utilitarian part that we refer to <laughs> as Web3. So really when a guy like Tim Sweeney, who's super technical and super nerdy, wants to talk about the metaverse, what he really wants to talk about is Web3. When someone who's responsible for creating a marketing story around where the future of gaming is going, where the future of the internet is going, where the future of virtual lands and all the flaws in that argument are going, they lean into the word metaverse. I tend to like Web3 because I feel like it's a more appropriate term. Web3 is going to take over. It's sexier Charlie, than metaverse. Charlie, I have, I have an alternate name for all of this. <laughs> so there's, there's an amazing science fiction book. I'm not making it up. You guys should read it. The author is a guy named Daniel Pinkwater. It's called Alan Mendelssohn, The Boy from Mars. And it's, it's like these, these kids in middle school and they stumble into an alternate reality. And that alternate reality is called Waka Waka, W-A-K-A hyphen W-K-A. And in Waka Waka, they have the whole culture that's based on drinking something called Flegix, which is a bad, bad tasting hot chocolate. So my pitch, is that we, we stop calling it Web3 or Metaverse, we just call it Waka Waka or Flegix for short. Um, because if you read that book, it basically, even in front of Snow Crash, pre-Snow Crash, 1979 is Alan Mendelssohn, The Boy from Mars. Check it out. It basically lays, it out right the, it lays out the reality of the Metaverse that's going on today in, in its total chaos and weirdness and all this And the stuff. title of that book is? Alan Mendelssohn, the boy from the Mars. boy from Mars. I just check out the documentary, The Creepy Line. Creepy Line. Yes. There you go. This week in XR reading list for you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Ronnie, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.